So many books, so little time. If you've ever said, I really want to read the Bible, I just can't fit it all in. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. This is the Bible Book Club. We'll read it to you and help you make sense of the most important book you'll ever read. Hello, Bible Book Club listeners. Give yourselves a big, huge pat on the back because you are at the halfway point in the book of Genesis. After today, woohoo, you (laughs) will have heard 20,000 words of the Bible. And that's a big deal. That's a lot of words. Yeah, if you never read the Bible, that's a big deal. Even if you read the Bible, that's a big deal. It's a lot of chapters. We're in 25 and 26. Yeah, and the best part is you are getting a great foundation, a really deep understanding of the history of the Jewish faith, which is also the Christian faith that we have today. Nice. So congratulations. Press on. Keep listening. You're doing great. And someday we're going to get to the end of Genesis and then we're going to start another book and you're going to just keep learning and learning and growing and growing. Yeah, actually someday soon because we're really covering two chapters, an episode. So we don't have long to go. Yay. All right. Well, here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to catch you up for those of you who have been listening and I'm going to get you where we were from last episode in chapter 24 and then we're going to move on in 25 and 26. All right. So last week, it was just a really good example of faith and of making good choices. You know, that path that Susan keeps um, bringing up that she has in, in her graphic Because when you make the right choices and you're on the right path, then God is going to bless you. And so that's exactly what happened. So Abraham commissioned Eleazar to find a wife for Isaac and Eleazar obeys. He prays. He finds the perfect wife at the well. And then a match is made and Rebecca and Isaac fall in love. The greatest love story of all time. (laughs) Of the Bible, for sure. This week is not going to be so stellar, nor is next week. So just know that this week, 25 and 26, next week, 27 and 28, they are going to be not on a stellar path, but but it's going to be really funny. And I mean that. We had a romance last week. The next couple weeks are comedic to me. And yes, there is comedy in the Bible. There is everything in the Bible. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Abraham is going to depart. That's going to be sad part. Then we're going to cover the comedic part, which is the big switch and who will win at Chosen Twin part one. Next episode, we will cover part two. And then we're going to have another little aside at the end. We're going to cover the very last wife lie number three. Yes, I know I said Abraham departs. It's not Abraham this time. (laughs) It's going to be Isaac playing the wife lie card. So first, the patriarch departs. Verse one, Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Ketera. She bore him Zimran, Jokan, Medan, Midahan, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokan was the father of Sheba Dedan, and the descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Ledishites, and the Lemuites. I'm sure I'm not saying any of these names correctly, <laughs> but the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanuk, Abida, Edelah, and all those were the descendants of Keterah. All right. Over, over 130 years old, Abraham takes another wife. Now, the commentaries on this were slightly amusing, uh, but to summarize, it was hypothesized that since he and Sarah's bodies were regenerated to have Isaac, uh, Abraham was abnormally virile for his age. But it is ironic that Abraham had just two children, Ishmael and Isaac, in the first 100 years, 
And then all of a sudden he has six sons and we don't know how many daughters. So just know sometimes these funny things happen. Continuing on verse five, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son, Isaac to the land of the East. Wait a minute. There's more concubines. There's, there's more children around here. No, no, no. So concubines are sometimes called wives. The women they're referring to here are Hagar and Keturah. The sons are Ishmael and Keturah's six sons. So pretty much everyone who wasn't Sarah is a concubine, called a concubine in here. And all their sons are the other sons that he gave gifts to. So he took a different wife and then he had a whole bunch of like... Another family. Like mistresses? No, no, no. Just one. Just Keturah. But he had six sons with her and they, they had kids too. So again, just more, more people from Abraham. But That's a lot. Well, God's fulfilling that promise that he was going to populate. Yes. The nation. Yes, exactly. All right. Verse seven. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Mechalaf near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites, where Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lyroi. So a quick timeline here. Abraham, like we just said, was 175. His son, Isaac, was 75 years old. Remember, Isaac was born to him when Abraham was 100. It was 35 years after Isaac's marriage to Rebekah. So Rebekah has been with Abraham for a while too. His grandchildren have already been born, even though we're going to get to them in a minute. They are um, about 15 years of age at Abraham's death. So he, he even got to know his grandchildren before he died. He was buried with Sarah by both sons, Isaac and Ishmael, which is a sweet testimony to Ishmael's love and loyalty to Abraham and to Isaac's peacemaking personality that they would come together to honor their father. God then, when Abraham dies, blesses Isaac and he is now our second patriarch. All right, just a couple parting words about Abraham. God did indeed fulfill all his promises to Abraham. His name became great as he had promised. His name is actually mentioned 235 times in the Bible. 76 of those are in the New Testament. That name carried on even to today. We're talking about him now. In Hebrews 11, which I call the Hall of Fame, he actually has three mentions for his faithfulness. He is and still, he was and still is the father of a great nation and his descendants are now as numerous as the stars. They cannot be counted. I think if we had a tombstone for Abraham, it would be very simple, but it might read something like this. Here lies Abraham, a righteous, but not a perfect man of faith. He was called by God and he obeyed. He feared man and he faltered, but he held fast to his belief and fulfilled his calling. And God made him a great name and nation as numerous as the stars. And I think it would be short and sweet like that because there was such an even play of willingness and and then faltering in Abraham's life. But but for God, but for God always, he still fulfilled his calling and his and 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 the promise was there then for him. 
And so one of always my favorite parts of the Bible is that you don't have to be perfect for the Enneagram one perfect girl. That's good news. And, And you can still walk in the path that God has for you and be blessed by him in so many ways. Exactly. All right. Meanwhile, somewhere in the desert, Ishmael is also growing into a great nation because God promised Abraham that he would back in Genesis 17. Remember, it said, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Remember when Abraham was kind of sad about having to send him? Mm -hmm. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. And then again, in Genesis 21, we learn that he is in the desert somewhere on the Sinai Peninsula, east of the Red Sea. It said, God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got away from him from Egypt. So this, continuing in chapter 25, is the Ishmael genealogy. And then he's just going to kind of fade away. There are a few mentions in Isaiah and in Chronicles of Ishmael's descendants, but they're just very, very brief. Well, he fades away in the Bible, but he still is the father of the Muslim faith, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. So continuing on in chapter 25, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave, Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, listed in order of their birth. Nebioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Abdeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetor, Napfish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area of Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go towards Asher. They lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. Twelve tribes, which is so interesting to me because it's exactly mirrors the 12 tribes that are going to become the nation of Israel from Isaac, from Jacob's 12 sons, which we're going to get to. I could not, I looked, you know how I love numbers. And whenever I see this kind of symmetry, I think, okay, God, what are you doing? I couldn't find any purpose to it. So I don't know why he was so even, but uh, um, there's probably some reason we're going to find out one day. Well, I think it's interesting. It says that they lived in all hostility because that was something that when he was set out into the wilderness, they said that he would live in opposition Mm -hmm. with his brothers. And he does, and he still does today. But then just like you pointed out a few minutes ago, they did at least come back and get along well enough to have a funeral and bury their father. Which speaks to their love for their father and Abraham's excellent parentage, that he had that kind of relationship with each of them. He was a very relational person. I feel like Abraham was. All right. Well, Ishmael's people do become the Arabs and they settled from Havilah to Shur, which today would be in Saudi Arabia, somewhere between Kuwait and the Red Sea. Now, there are Arabs that are neither Jews, for example, a descendant of Abraham through Isaac or Jacob, nor Ishmaelites, descendants of Abraham through Ishmael. These groups do not fall under either blessing of Abraham. Abraham had a blessing for Ishmael, hit a blessing for Isaac. So the descendants, and I'm going to explain some of them. The descendants of Esau are called Arabs. They are children of Abraham, but, because, but they are not part of the promise to the Jews.
choose through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because God chooses Jacob. Nor do they fall into the promises inherited by Ishmael's descendants because that passes from Abraham to Ishmael. The descendants of Esau are going to be listed in Genesis 36. So there's they could be Arabs. There are the descendants of Keturah. We just read about her. They are Abraham's other sons, but they don't receive the promise of the Jews or the Ishmaelites. Then there are those who have no ethnic connection to Abraham. There are many that call themselves Arabs, but have no connection. Some of them in the Arab nation are descendants of Shem, Aram, Eber, Joktan, and all of them are also living in that area. So so there can be other people, not all the Arabs. Or just kind of distant cousins yeah, or something, not all right? the Arabs are from Ishmael, just to make sure. All right, moving on to the big switch, part one. Next week will be part two. All right, let's just set the scene here. The genre, my interpretation of the genre of this story is that it is a comedy. And like I said earlier, there is comedy in the Bible. God created us as creatures who love to laugh. Therefore, because we are created in his image, I do believe that God has a sense of humor too. This scene would be a comedic satire. Now, if you don't know what a satire is, a satire uses humor to ridicule people's stupidity or vices. And our key people are going to be a little stupid in the next, this week and next week. If you picture the way SNL mocks our leaders today, making their actions look absolutely ridiculous, you will have the tone for both of these big switch (laughs) scenes. I picture God and all the heavenly hosts just kind of like eyes rolling as they watch with sardonic amusement, the antics of this silly family and their attempt to get what they want instead of what God wants. So that's just- So this is like really the original soap opera. (laughs) It's just- just kind of funny. It's just funny. All right. So the scene itself, I call the big switch part one. Isaac, the, the promised son, is now the patriarch of the growing nation of God's people, which is a big deal. The family line is super important because it will produce a savior, the promised offspring who will crush Satan and restore peace. The tradition held, the, the tradition that held at the time was that the line passed from firstborn son to firstborn son. It's a one-way tradition train for the firstborn. Second and other sons are set, picked up and set on another track, never to intersect with the main line. In this scene, God is going to throw a switch and our train is going to jump tracks. It is an irrevocable change in destination. Why? Because God cares about more than keeping a tradition. He also cares about our heart. In the big switch, he is going to look at the hearts of these twins and he is going to choose the liar who loves him. Note, I said the liar who loves him. It is not a perfect choice because there is not a perfect choice in the human race until we get to Christ who became human, a perfect human. But God delights for our encouragement because we We are not perfect to include all types of people in the main line. Does that make sense? God, I think, delights to take common people and insert them in his line to show us that he's going to use us all for good, even though we're not perfect. This main line is loaded with common people with common sin. There are liars, murderers, and prostitutes all in the main line. And we're going to hear about all of them throughout the Old Testament. This story is an example of that. It's not pretty. Isaac is going to disobey 
disobey God in the next two weeks. Rebecca is going to deceive her husband. Jacob is going to lie to his father and kind of blaspheme God. And big, hairy, manly Esau is going to petulantly cry like a baby. It's messy and funny and comedic. Like so many mistakes we make, it all could have been avoided if they had just listened to God and accepted what he told them. Because he told them who he was going to choose the day they were born. Or actually when, when Rebecca was pregnant. But what God says is not always what we want. And we're going to see them act out how they want. Yeah. And we're going to read this in a second. So what Susan just gave you was kind of like what is coming up, what to expect. Yeah. And I just keep thinking about how Abraham all through his life, he kept making all these mistakes. But then in the end, the last scene that we did last episode, he just followed what God told him to do, mm-hmm. right? He finally did. But then these are his kids. And what example have they gotten from their father all their lives? So this is why we have to try to teach. I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but your kids are watching. Mm-hmm. They're watching what you do and they're going to probably make them the same, the same mistakes that you did. They won't learn from your mistakes the way you get the opportunity at the end of your life too. So try to make, try to get on that path as early as possible. You know, and to your point, this is kind of interesting. Abraham made more mistakes in in the beginning and then learned to submit and obey. Isaac is a little more passive. And so he was more obedient in the beginning. And we're going to see as he gets older, he kind of loosens up a little bit too much. And um, I don't want to spoil it, but all right. Part one of the big switch. The firstborn who has it all sells it for stew. Verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham, son of Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Okay, just to to do some math for you. Isaac was 40 when they married and 60 when the boys were born. It took 20 years to get pregnant. Isaac is a patient, quieter man and he waited. Abraham did not. Remember, he pushed ahead and tried to have Ishmael. He did have Ishmael. Perhaps Isaac waited because he learned the lesson from his father and because he had been the target of Ishmael, the mistake. So just to kind of set the stage there for the timing on that. All right. Verse 22. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And the two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Esau, the heir apparent, by tradition, because he was the first out, is named just for his hairy appearance. The name Jacob means supplanter. And that name probably came from the fact that they had heard from God that he would supplant his brother because they were told the older will serve the younger. Verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. 
Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. It does not say that Jacob favored his mother, but we're going to see here in, in his character traits and Rebecca's and in three or four chapters from now, her brother, Rebecca's brother, Laban, that they all share this kind of tricky cleverness that must have been inherited from Laban, Rebecca, and passed on to Jacob. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why they called, why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. This is a very smooth move on Jacob's part because, you know, brothers and sisters know each other so well. They know how to push each other. And Jacob knew how fond his brother and father were about food. Apparently when hunger hit them, they were just like, you know, very demanding. They get hangry. Hangry. Yes, exactly. They were hangry people and they loved good food. Now, why would Jacob do this? Because Jacob wanted the birthright. It may be at this point that his parents, his mother may have mentioned that he should have it. And so he's kind of thinking, well, I should have it anyway. And so he just flippantly says, okay, you want some stew? Sell me your birthright. And although he he went about it the wrong way, we're going to see that it at least demonstrates that he relentlessly has a heart for God's kingdom. He wants it. Just as Esau's willingness to sell it for a silly stew demonstrates his disregard for God's kingdom. But was it even Esau's to sell? Like, is that something that they did if they didn't want to have to take over the family? They would just sell it to their younger brother? Apparently. I've never heard of it. I've never read it before, but apparently it must have been because Jay Jacob's like, you know, and and I'm going to get to this in a second. So let me just say this right here. The birthright is not the blessing. There's a difference. The The birthright is, is this tradition that the firstborn male will be the authority over the clan and they receive a double portion of the inheritance. So if you're talking about just the birthright at this point, which is what we're talking about, we're not talking about the blessing. It's saying, okay, mm-hmm. fine, you can be in charge and you can have the double portion. Our dad has tons. I'm still going to get something. I really want that stew, so I will buy it from you. So this is really more like a transaction of money here. Great, I'll give it to you. I mean, it's a huge transaction because Abraham was really rich. But um, yeah, technically, I guess he could. It also kind of shows that not only is Esau um, very impulsive and he wants what he wants and he's going to just take it, right? Which is similar to what happened with Eve and Exactly. That before, want, take. Um, But he's also just not the brightest. No, he's not. (laughs) He's not. He's really not. That's why I think, you know, the heavenly host and God were having a good laugh about this. (laughs) All right. Well, let's laugh with them back here in verse 32. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. All right, a couple details from this switch. I already explained what the birthright is. So let me explain how it differs from the blessing. The blessing could be given to anyone in the household. But again, it usually went to the son who had the birthright. Because of course, if you receive the blessing and you're going to carry forward the promise, you should be in charge of the clan and you're going to need that double inheritance, you know, to grow your clan. Now, two sins I want to point out here. Self-indulgence, number one, 
is a sin. It led to great exaggeration from both Esau and next week, Isaac. Another example of how kids inherit their parents' trait. Esau says he is going to die if he doesn't have stew. If we forward to next chapter, Isaac's going to say he has to give the blessing because he is going to die. And since he's going to die, since he's going to die, he needs some tasty food first, (laughs) but he doesn't die for 35 more years. So how urgent was it really? I think like you said, they get hangry and they think it's the end of the world. Yeah. Well, it's like what my kids will say that I'm going to die. Like, Really, there's starving kids in Africa and you are not that. Indulging in, you know, food can at times be (laughs) lead to great sin. Self-reliance is the other character flaw here I want to point out. Both Rebecca and Jacob use their own resourcefulness to intervene on God's plan. If Jacob had been told that he was going to eventually be God's choice, like, oh yeah, you know, Rebecca could have said, yeah, no, I talked to God and God said the older is going to serve the younger and that means you. So if he'd been told that, he is intervening. He's trying to get it using his brother's weakness. He's relying on his own craftiness to trick his brother. Rebecca is going to do the exact same thing next week. Well, it's also another thing thing they learned from their father because he did that like you said when he went off and had a baby even exactly. though he wasn't supposed Abraham. to Self-reliance can be a good thing. It can also be a really bad thing because then we don't, we, we, we think, oh, I can make this happen. I don't need God. I'm going to do it now instead of being patient. Then the despised birthright. It says that Esau despised his birthright. Esau wanted what he wanted in the moment and the future didn't mean anything compared to right now. Oh my gosh. We are so like this today. We are so used to having everything right when we want it. Oh, you see something you want? I'll Amazon it. I can shoot. I have same day Amazon on my area. I can get it in a few hours if I want it. And and we're almost being conditioned for this. It's it's it, it can be very impulsive and it can derail maybe God's plan for something. I'm very guilty of yeah, it's just on Amazon. It's just hard. Esau treated his birthright disparagingly and he disregarded his future, which for the future of Israel would have made him a very bad leader. And so we really can't understand why God who sees the future even before children are born, knew that Esau just wasn't going to have what it takes. You can't be a great leader and be impulsive and despise your leadership. And that's what he did. All right. Meanwhile, taking a pause from the big switch, which we will get back to next week. Meanwhile, we have this little aside. I don't know why. It's just stuck in here. Like father, like son, wife lie, number three, Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give all the lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands through your offspring. All nations on the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. All right. Yay. Yay, Isaac. Yay, Isaac. So, okay. (laughs) That's one of the little takeaways I got from this chapter is yay, Isaac. Again, a famine. So a test for sure. 
Abraham got tested. Sorry, you failed. Isaac gets tested. Hey, yay, you passed. Abraham went to Egypt, but Isaac does not. Isaac may have learned from his father and passed the test, or he just might be more obedient in his younger years. Carrying on, however. Verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Oh, another test. Really? <laughs> really? I know. He is. We in- can't learn this lesson around here. <laughs> he has inherited his fear of man from his father and he fears more powerful men. And so he lied. He failed this test. Lesson. The lesson is we learn for good or for evil from those around us. And they say that there's a proverb about that. Choose your companions carefully. Now, in this case, father, son, family, we can't really choose, but we have to be aware of who we have around us and what we can learn from them, good or bad. Verse eight, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Okay, they could be laughing at this part too, because like really another Abimelech, it's not the same Abimelech. I just want to point out Abimelech was probably a title for Philistine kings. That Abimelech in uh, Abraham's time would be really old by now. But again, God intervened again and kept them from sinning by taking Rebecca as a wife. Isaac answered them, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had many flocks, so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Uh, The reason they were doing this is a well was kind of a claim of possession over the land around it. And the Philistines, of course, didn't like that. It was one thing if you're going to be a nomad and kind of just take your herds through here and we'll keep peace and you keep peace. But he was starting to plant and use use the wells that actually Abraham had built beforehand. And so, you know, if they stopped him up and there was no well, then he had no claim over the land. Verse 16, then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, that water is ours. So he named the well Eskik because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rebinoth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and he will flourish, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. 
Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerir with Azamah, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and, and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you and you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. There is a proverb that says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. And that is exactly what Isaac did. His patient, kind perseverance led to peace with the Philistines. Well, do you think maybe after they sent him away, they were kind of like, okay, look at him. He's getting kind of successful. We're afraid he's going to come back here and attack us for sending him. Maybe we should go. Yeah, maybe we should. That too. And that was definitely a pattern that happened throughout through the Old Testament. I mean, the 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 Hebrews, the Hebrews, when they become the nation Israel, were just prolific because God blessed them and, and wanted them to multiply. And it didn't matter whether they were you know, being held captive as slaves in Egypt, or they were roaming in the, in these times. They were just always growing and word got around. Mm-hmm. People knew. Verse 30, Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basimath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. All right, big takeaway in this is to me, as we look at Abraham and Isaac, is that they were very, very different. But again, God works in different ways through different personalities. And we're going to get the same as we move forward with Jacob and Esau, and then with the 12 tribes. And and that just expands out to us. We are all so different. We have different denominations. We have different ways of expressing. But, you know, if you're a believer and then in God's eyes, he sees us all the same because he sees us through Christ. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And my big takeaway, which I already mentioned in this episode once, but God can use you. You don't have to be perfect, Mm -hmm. but try to get on that path because when you do and you stay on the path that he has for you, your life is so much better and it's blessed so much more. And uh, your kids then will also be blessed because then they'll be on the right path as well. Next week, we are in the second half of Genesis, but big switch part two, which comedically is going to involve all four of our heroes and heroines, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Esau are all going to get into the bad act. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.